Welcome to A Point with Shawnee B coming to you from, where are we? Stockwell. Stockwell, yeah. Stockwell in London. I've got an Irish lad with me here who's left Dublin, I think, in the 70s. He's an artist, musician, an activist. He's, he likes to subvert brands. Uh, his artworks are amazing. We've got links to his website. If you want to have a look now before you start listening, it might be a good idea. And he'll also be playing some of his music throughout the podcast. I'm welcoming Pete Dunn. How are you, sir? How are you doing? Grand, yeah. How long have you been in Stockwell? Oh, washed up here about 12 years ago, I suppose. But I've always been gravitated towards South London, Brixton and that. So you're born in Dublin? Yeah, raised in Ringsend. Ringsend, that's where I live. 50s, 60s. Yeah, what was it like there? What are your memories? Good? Um, It was a shithole, basically. (laughs) Still Um, is a bit. Apart from one bit. I heard there's an L one down there and she's got a poodle or chichihuahua, one of those designer dogs. So it's come up, coming up. Well, Google have moved into Ireland in a big way and they've moved right into where Pete's childhood home was and they've built big glass offices and it's a sign of progress in our city apparently. But one by one, they're knocking down probably all the houses you were in. Were you in those red brick brick houses in Irish Yeah, two up, two down. There was like six kids and the folks in there. Yeah, there wasn't an awful lot of privacy. But you're, at that time, we used to get thrown out playing on the street. And Parents didn't give a shit about their kids back then. It was well, good. It was we'd go around in a gang, and if there was yeah. anybody a bit iffy around, well, we'd chase them off, throw yeah. stones at them. And Ringsend had a tradition of, of gurriorisms because you had to get carriage, a Ringsend carriage across to go into Dublin proper. And it was a perfect spot to uh, relieve the gentry of their... Tea leaving. Yeah, of their... Yeah. Possessions, you have their money and their watches and whatever else. And what was your child? Was it a happy childhood? Do you remember? It was, yeah. The sixties were personal tragedies. We were poor, it. but we were happy. Well, yeah, my dad was good at making money. Steel business was it? It was engineering, metalworks. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a very decent man. He had a very giving kind of nature, very generous. Mm. We, we used to play a lot in the in the gas works and the ESB, yeah. the bottle company, the bus garage. I mean, there wasn't many trees or you know greenery around no, they're all brands it was, uh, yeah. yeah it was a very industrial area well, where did time. you come in the pecking order I, w- I was a small kid I always used humour as a, a, a means to get past yeah, the bullies and that yeah works it does yeah and then I became a very good shot with a stone if there was any gurriers on my case I'd run as fast as I could and then I'd just take the guy's eye out with a stone David and Goliath yeah, it was that kind of style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you good at school or were you artistic in school? Um, or? I, well, at that time, I mean, to have your sort of artistic ambitions recognised was a waste of time, yeah. basically. It's like, what are you going to do? A lot of violence in classroom, teachers? Oh, God, yeah. They're she, fuckers, weren't they? You'd get beaten up at school. Yeah. You'd get beaten up on the way home. And then you'd beaten get up beaten home. up when you got home. <laughs> was, it, was it a, a Christian Brothers school you were in? It was Maris Brothers. Oh. They were like... Christian Brothers. College. Yeah. yeah. Christian yeah. Brothers Light. Still a frustrated bunch of arse. And right beside Lansdowne Road, so did you go to a lot of football matches? Well, we used, we used to go. In. I was the only one who could ask for a cigarette in French, so I used to love when <laughs> Ireland played France. I'd end up with a whole load of goulois and jetons. Like the old Lansdowne Road uh, rugby stadium, which is where the soccer matches are played, is based in uh, near Ringsend, Ballsbridge area, so that was all around it. This whole thing about the good old days, those bollocks, right? There was no, no good old I just, days. I mean, Do you think there was? I think the the whole thing for me, when I look back, is just tobacco stained. Everything <laughs> was brown. You'd go up onto the top deck of a bus and it'd I be remember, just... Yeah. There'd be 
steam coming yeah. off their overcoats, yeah. brown overcoats. Yeah. The whole thing was like a brown fog. Yeah. So, it's probably where SARS got invented, somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, probably, you, yeah. Christmas time, everyone's yeah. coughing and yeah. asleep on the side. It's all fogged up and yeah. dripping down. And, yeah. Sepia. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And you could buy cigarettes, you know, single cigarettes. Sing- can I have a rock man and a match yeah. from my mummy? A match from your mummy, yeah. That was it, yeah. But I started smoking very young. I was like eight or something. Do you still smoke? No, I gave it up. I After nearly 50 years. Really? Was it hard? I was surprised how easy it was, actually. Did um, you have a scare or did you just decide to do it? Yeah, I got I got very ill there a few years back, so mm. I just had to start behaving myself. <laughs> <laughs> but the We're reading between the lines here. So when so you left school, did you go straight working? Um, I kind of blagged around for a year or mm. so to wonder what to do and then I came to London in 76 I was 19 big adventure oh it was great it yeah. was like the so different promised to land thing. yeah it's like to get away from that Catholic morality yeah. squad to only priest. just dying now yeah. only just dying good, now good riddance yeah personally I think they should have all their property confiscated so you were you running away no I came over I was supposed to start studying architecture was working in an architect's office. My brother was an architect, so okay. he got me a job doing small little drawings and stuff and so on. Mm. So I was very good at it. So I came over here. We went straight to Trafalgar Square, got a job sweeping the streets over in Paddington, which was ironic because my school teachers used to always look at me and go, Don, you're going to end up sweeping the streets. <laughs> And it was the first job I got. If you had a selfie back then, you could have said, <laughs> no, like, Father, such and such, look what I, I achieved. <laughs> yeah, I know, yes. How was it like being a. Tr- I've, never, I've never spoken to someone who's done that job. It was oh. great, it was really interesting because around Paddington there was a lot of sort of very rich, eccentric people, and a lot of them lonely. They'd bring me in and give me cups of tea and stuff, yeah. just somebody to chat. And it was a very hot summer, it was like 76 with a heat wave, every day it was up up in the 30s we'd sweep the back of the fit. pub and they'd give you a sandwich and a pint and, would they? You know, oh, yeah. yeah so you were for the council yeah but you weren't supposed to be doing any of that no I know Yeah, it was great they as long as you got the sweet streets so, yeah. so. a lot of the lads who worked in there they, I mean they weren't exactly sort of you know molecular scientists yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was all about football it was the Sun and, newspaper yeah. and the yeah, mug of tea yeah. but it was a time when it was very racist towards Irish oh man it was awful it was like every time a bomb would go off, you just wouldn't open your mouth. You'd go out busking. I remember there was one bomb went off and the Queen's horses got blown up. And we were out playing Irish tunes down in Berwick Street Market. And one of the stall holders came over and went, look, mate, you better fucking leave it at. And we were going, look, what? He said, oh, the IRA blew up. So we went straight into a reggae set. And all the stallholders looked at us and went, yeah, yeah, you're this much better, mate. You won't, you'll be so rich, you'll be yeah, so yeah, yeah. There was the old um, stories of, you know, even out in, uh, you know, Kilburn and all those sort of areas where no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. There were signs on pubs. Yeah. Britain was much more racist oh, back yeah. then than it is oh, now. Oh, God, yeah. thing was like the, the Irish being really stupid. Like, yeah. I used to bring a book. I was working on a building site. And I used to read a book, yeah. you know, sci-fi. And they'd be and reading stuff. the fucking sun and, and the big tits on page three. And fucking Paddy reading a book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. We'll go head to head with you yeah. per capita on yeah. great writers <laughs> and we'll see who wins. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I seen a t-shirt the other day I thought it was great. It was uh, 
no whites, no cats, no English. <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of So you you got hunkered in here, did yeah, you? Yeah, it was great. It was like I was I was an avid smoker, so I, I loved to be able to buy a big lump of dope for very relatively mm. cheap price. So you based yourself where, Brixton? I was over in Stoke Newington, Stafford oh, okay. Hill. Right, yeah, right, right. I was squatting over there. It was yeah. like promised land. Yeah. You could get as much work as you wanted. You didn't have to pay for rent. And I mean, when, when the Tories brought in that anti-squatting law, they inadvertently destroyed all the underground scene in London. Any cultural revolution starts with low rent. That's when white punk happened. Because you could go move into a squat and practice, learn how to play your instrument, yeah. drive the neighbours mental. Where did yeah, the music bit come in? Went overland to India and then I met some people. Okay, so you there. left it London. I well, left why London. Did you leave, why did you leave London? Oh, I just wanted adventure. And See the world. At that time, I mean, India was the furthest you could hitchhike to without <laughs> getting a boat. Like, you'd get a boat over to yeah. Calais and that was it. And I just wanted to keep going. Like, On your know, own? On my own, yeah. Were you always a kind of a... Happy in your own company. Yeah, like yeah, still am. Like yeah. I don't, I don't get bored. Yeah, live with imagination, so I keeps yeah. me busy enough. Like, but yeah, well, how long did you do in London before you decided I'm going to shake the? Um, I was here for a year. Had you always the ambition to maybe see the world? Oh yeah, right. I just want. I'm living in a squat and came around to August time. You know, the end of the summer and that people were saying, "Oh, I'm going down to Kent to pick apples. Mm. Oh, I'm going down to the south of France to pick grapes." And they were asking me, "What am I? You going to do, Pete?" I said, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and make hashish. <laughs> and that's what I did. All right, so tell me about that. You get off of Cali and you start hitchhiking. You start hitchhiking. You see yeah. <laughs> Carpels in. Where are you going? It, uh, Kabul? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just a couple of days after Elvis died. And right, just, 77. Yeah, just before they launched Voyager 2. Which so, is still going. Which is still going. It's yeah, left the solar yeah, system. Great documentary yeah, by an Irish girl, I've actually. seen that yeah, one. It's, it's fantastic, yeah. yeah. For me, it was like going out into space, yeah. going out into the universe in conjunction with this uh, space probe, Voyager 2. Yeah. So I've always had a real strong affinity. I'd read everything that came out about it. It was like leaving planet Earth behind. And so were you scared at all? Not really, You're no. 20 years old now. Yeah. Not really, no. Just a couple of just pairs really of jeans. curious and, and yeah, yeah. Well, adventurous. And, um, a few times in... Eastern Turkey and Iran hitching and that it got a bit dodgy give us some examples of that just truck drivers wanting to show you up the arse basically <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> end up in a Turkish prison oops yeah, yeah. same thing well, yeah. <laughs> did you find kindness though oh very much so yeah it was incredible people mm. going through, at the time it was Yugoslavia that was so austere that was Tito yeah it was like they were so sad looking the people mm. And then you get to Greece and suddenly people were happy like, really, yeah. there was lots to eat and people were happy. There was music and bars. and so Were you on a mission to get there faster? Or did you say it um, doesn't matter as long as... I basically wanted to get to Afghanistan quick because everywhere else had draconian drug laws. Right. Get to the border post between Iran and uh, Afghanistan and that everything changed. Yeah, yeah. Everything. As I say, just like leaving planet Earth behind and going yeah. out into the universe. Was it just you knew that, that you'd definitely find it there yeah. and you picked Afghanistan? Because Afghanistan uh, yeah. even back then was... No, it was before all was the before trouble. the Russians yeah. came, yeah, yeah. Russians came in 79. And it was, I'd gone back in time, it was a really enchanted place. People had 
things in, in perspective. You know, sustainability was a way of life. Our shift in consciousness has to go back to that. I agree. That you don't just throw something away like, like ter- we're like termites. Yeah, you know, we're we just eating everything yeah, in sight, yeah. you know. They'd recycle car tires into buckets, into sandals, into mm. God knows what. Even with covers for their tape-to-tape cassette machines. Yeah, yeah. Really they probably look fucking cool as well, yeah. Yeah, it was. It looked really good. <laughs> I'd buy them yeah. and bring them back and sell them yeah. for a few hundred bucks. What other countries really took you on that, can you remember, on that Yeah, trip? you go through... Look, it was remarkably sort of evident that you were leaving another con- continent when you got to uh, Istanbul. yeah. And you okay. crossed the Bosphorus there. It was yeah. like suddenly you were in Asia and it was like European laws didn't really apply, you know. You were kind of following the Silk Road. It's pretty much, yeah. I mean, at that time you couldn't go up north into Russia because mm. it was the Iron Curtain was yeah. very much in, in place. Like, would you jump trains and all that stuff as well, yeah? Well, yeah, you'd grab whatever you could. Like, it was yeah. fairly low budget kind mm. of stuff. I went out there for six months. When I got to India, I stayed best part of ten years. Did you get to Kabul, was it? You got to Herat, is Herat, the first, okay. first town you cross into. As I say... You must was, have been a real really odyssey, right? White guy from... Yeah, yeah. but there was a fairly established hippie trail at that time. Okay. But I tracked down a documentary on YouTube called Afghanistan Before the Wars, and there was a shot of this bakery across the road, and I was so stoned, it took me about a half an hour to get over to this bakery. But I, I actually seen a bit of footage of the footpath that I was standing on in the bakery across really? the road. I was standing on the side, on the footpath, going all the way until this guy with the bicycle goes past. And he'd, he'd be like about 500 yards up the road. <laughs> so it's just... But also, because you'd know this now, but you probably... Your first experiences in London with weed or whatever, hash... It's a very different hash you're getting out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got the I, real I, deal. I, I can't handle it these days. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it's turbo, you know. Um, but that must have also blown your mind. Well, going, yeah. Fuck, this is amazing. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was, like, unbelievable, yeah. Did I, you make a lot of friends then on the on the trip? Yeah, I used to, yeah, you would. You'd fall mm. in with people and, like, soon enough you'd, you'd know whether there were people to avoid or whether you could travel with them. Yeah. And the local Afghani people were very hospitable and very curious I ended up teaming up with this uh, French anthropologist who said, come on, and we go out into the desert and we'll check out the nomads out there. He took me off out into the the desert. Yeah. (laughs) And we promptly got lost. (laughs) I'm not surprised. It's like the end of August. This guy, all he could talk about was splitting up with his girlfriend. I was like, did you not bring any water? And it's like, no, did you? And it's like... Two gobshites lost in the desert in the middle of Afghanistan without any water. Which is funny for the first hour or two and then starts yeah, getting serious, right? Yeah, on big style. And what happened? Um, eventually, I seen this tree growing out. Everywhere looked identical. You climb up to the top of the hill and it just looked like the hill that you climbed up before. So I eventually seen this little tree sticking out of, of a ravine. I went down and found this guy. He was down there and I said, can we get some water? Like, So he took us off on this winding through these identical, and, yeah. Yeah, identical hills. And we came to a little stone doorway that had been carved into the side of the mountain. And he disappeared inside. And then when I followed in after him, there was this amazing three pools of water, ancient, you know, with sort of pre-Islamic carvings on and there was fish in it, and it was all green. The men were... Sure, now this actually happened. This, I'm, dream I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Stuff. I, was, I wasn't that dehydrated. 
but it so was it's a, something. It was like a. It was, a it was religious. It had a religious. No, well, no, no, it was a public bath, basically. Oh, right. Built into the underground in the mountains. Afghanistan is full of ancient things like that. I mean, to think that you could conquer a people as resilient as the Afghanis. Um, and where did you stay when you were in Afghanistan? In people's houses or in yurts? Or yeah, you just wherever cheap hostels and people's houses. Yeah, you wherever the journey took you, really. Did you lose faith at any point in your mission, or did you get down? Or no, I never really got homesick. I mean, there wasn't much much oh, of a okay, home to get yeah, sick yeah. for. Really, yeah. it was a bit of a shit hole means yeah. end. So I never. What about your mates? Do they all go? What the fuck is people? Yeah, they, yeah, they were all still in the pub, you know, yeah. back in horses yeah. drinking. Still are probably talking about football. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think a lot of them kind of went to the grave down that. It's interesting looking back from this age. I'm sure because I. I left in 96 when I was 27 and my one of my regrets is that I didn't leave about five years earlier. Yeah. At this juncture you realise you realise how fortunate you are because I was lived in, I lived in, in India we'll talk about India in a minute China and just see so much poverty and just go yeah. what am I complaining about? Exactly, you know, everything. Yeah. I've got exactly. everything you know, compared yeah. to these people. Yeah, it's like the other day I was queuing up in the post office or something and I started I found myself getting a bit annoyed Exactly that I thought. Yeah. Look, mate, exactly. what have you got? To Twenty be five more about? minutes I have to wait yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you know. And what about food and stuff like that? Was it was it that? Because um, I know, like Ireland was just fucking potatoes, oh, potatoes, awful. vegetables, and ham. I went vegetarian when I was about sixteen, seventeen. We used to have a woman, Miss O'Reilly, come around and cook us. I told her, I said, Miss O'Reilly, I'm vegetarian. I'm not going to eat meat. So the next day I came in. There was she handed me a big plate of sausages and said, I know you don't eat meat, so I got your sausages. <laughs> so that was the level of the cuisine. Why did you go off meat? Because that was quite to, foresightful back then. Yeah, I think it was just seemed to be the right thing to do. Just Animal treatment. Yeah, it just morally seemed to be a bit corrupt, you know. I think it'll go down, I've said this in the podcast before, as one of, in a hundred years' time, I think people will look back and go, like, they were able to they fucking cure cancer, yeah. they were able to fly to the moon. And they still treated animals yeah. like fucking yeah. shit, you know? I've seen a good thing on Irish television there about Mokranaferma versus a vegan. Mokranaferma, an Irish agricultural institute. I like the meat mafia. Yeah, the meat mafia, yeah. <laughs> what were they doing? The Mokranaferma guy came out and said, according to the latest scientific uh, research, vegetarians are much more likely to commit a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and when he went into this convoluted, it was unbelievable. I don't know where the guy got that. When was that? I missed that. Recently? Yeah, it was about a year ago. I mean, they were trying to justify saying they loved their animals. Like, how yeah. can you love something and then kill it? Or know? take calves away from their mothers exactly and then get them that, pregnant yeah. again yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. That's very rare for an Irish man. It was. I, I didn't fit in with the general scene in, no. in Ireland at the time. Were you religious? No. No, that good. I was just very different. I was mm. always interested in uh, other things besides the norm. Did you read a lot? Yeah, loads. Right? Yeah. I used to, yeah. I used Did to you write. do a journal on that trip? Not really, but I've a very good memory. I can remember most yeah. of it. So how long did you spend then in Afghanistan? Afghanistan, I was there for... They'd let you stay for a month. I got a, an extension to the visa for another three weeks or something. It, it was a really fascinating country. Yeah. There always was a, an undercurrent of danger everyone packing yeah oh they were all tooled up yeah yeah did you see any violence you'd see kind of mob violence 
if a bus driver had knocked a school kid down, they'd drag him out and beat him yeah. to death, basically. Yeah. Instant. Be a karma thing. I mean, it actually happened to myself and my, my mate one time. We were pretty much skint and we were living off wild food up in the Himalayas and stuff. And we wandered into a village around sunset. It'd been a really hard day, walking all day, no water. We got a campfire together and there was a spring and we we were cooking up a bit of the local fat hen. It was like a herb that grew, a plant that grew. It was like wild spinach. And next of all, there was a boulder came and sort of hit my mate in the head and we didn't know what was going on. Suddenly there was a big crowd of people that chased us up onto the road. Basically, the village had been raided the night before by bandits. They thought you were there. And they thought we were... We were so how'd you get out of this? Apart <laughs> from your... Your expert stone-throwing ability well, sure yeah. didn't come into play there. <laughs> my, my mate, Rings end childhood. <laughs> my mate just grabbed the ringleader, showed him a passport and said, no, we're not, we're not anything to do with what you think we are. And did they so, back up? Yeah, everybody's just kind of... But I could see it really escalating into that mob yeah. consciousness, you know. Where it's and just, then were they nice to you after that? They just all kind of... Fucked looked off. a bit embarrassed, really, yeah. you know. And fucked off. Yeah. Back to their... So you were wandering your way towards India? Well, yeah. Got Into to, Pakistan? And... Pakistan at that time, it was very edgy. So you just get through there as quickly as possible, obviously. And uh, get into India and it was like promised land, really. And then off up into the mountains. And that's where I felt I'd really kind of come home. But again, I mean... Like, did you ever get bored getting stoned? Like, we get stoned every day. Was that yeah, the, was that would, the mission? Yeah. yeah, you would. And you'd walk a lot every day? You'd be walking around... It's very, it's, it's, not, it's not in the circle. It's not a story. No, I know, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, I mean, the religion thing is like. Like, me, you know how original that, like, there's probably no one in the world who's done that. Well. Really. Or like, the, for the length of time that uh, you did it. Yeah, the religious thing, I never, never really grabbed me. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's the oldest scam in the book. I oh, know, I agree. Look, yeah. you're yeah. talking to. I mean, one of the things I think is happening in the world is God is dead. Yeah. Sorry, Nietzsche, mm-hmm. but yeah, but, like, he's, he was right. And that means there's no afterlife. That yeah. means you don't see your little Johnny again when yeah. he gets run over by a bus. That means you don't see your mammy dad when he dies and mammy in heaven. Yeah. yeah. And then people go, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. And then, what's, like, nihilism starts creeping. Yeah. Do you think you were nihilistic? No, I think life is a, is a really good opportunity to make, make yourself better, you know? Anybody who tells you there is or isn't an afterlife is, is having you on. Yeah. So how the fuck do they know? And it's totalitarian. Yeah. It's like um, Bill Hicks's great quote was, eternal damnation to anyone who questions my everlasting love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, the religious thing never really got me. But we'll come back uh, to uh, India, but we're going to play three of your uh, tracks because you're a musician as well. Yeah. Um, introduce us to your first piece of music. The first one is called Something in the Water. I suppose I'm inspired by uh, all the gack they're putting into our drinking water from fluoride Sorry, to yeah. brown water. Plastic, apparently, yeah. today in today's paper. We've it. all yeah, got plastic in us yeah. now. That's it, plastic people, yeah. Mm. I didn't intend for it to turn into urban country with an acid twist, but yeah. there you go. That's the creative process. I think it has an ex-guest of mine, Nick Reynolds, playing oh, harmonica. Nick plays wonderful harmonica. Yeah. Yeah, Nick sent- is from the Alabama Three, so he's... He's teamed up with uh, Pete for this. And it has another chap from Athlone called Neil Fitzgibbon who played everything else. This something is something in the, in the water. water. Yeah.
take a holiday where the sun don't shine. Watch the telly in the daytime. Drink a carton of wine, carton of wine.
that was something in the water. That's a brilliant, brilliant sound. And there's another one coming soon, which I've also heard. And it's a real earworm, as Pete calls it. It'll be coming up later. Right, so you've got to India. You've been traveling there for over a year, I'd say, have you? Yeah. And then what are you thinking about India? Because I did quite a bit of work in India in the early 2000s. So I'm really intrigued what it was like. In yeah, in the 70s. It 70s. Was, you were like a superstar out there. Everybody wanted to know you. Come in and have a look at my blankets or come in and have something to eat. A lot of people were just hospitable, just curious. But once you got high up into the Himalayas where the air was rarefied, it was a most wonderful experience. It was mm. that, that for me was a spiritual uh, awakening. Explain we, what it did to you. You're above everything. The you're majesty looking, of yeah, nature. Yeah, you're looking down on planes and mm. all the Babylon bullshit that goes on. Yeah. And you're just up in a very clean rarefied atmosphere I mean, where did you stay then just hostels yeah, and little... up, in, up in the mountains you'd stay in shepherd's huts right. caves up a rock overhang wherever you'd end up in, mm. in the evening and were you long haired and big beard was that the dreadlocks yeah. yeah people used to wonder what was growing out in my head <laughs> at that time but yeah, and were you healthy though apart from um, maybe you know whatever was living it, in you but yeah, yeah it wasn't it was good I mean yeah. the time you'd get you'd unhealthy get... is when you get down into cities and you'd start eating in restaurants and stuff but when you're cooking yeah. for yourself it's yeah it's grand and did you always have a, a team with you or was were you often on your own no it often well you'd, you'd go up with a couple of people yeah in case something had happened and a lot of the times I used to take people up I'd, I'd work as a tour guide I'd take them up trekking for a couple of weeks into the over the high passes. Of course, it gave you a perfect opportunity to clock where all the wild, wild ganja was grown. So yeah. you'd come back to it in September and go out. Help yourself. Yeah, but yeah, you'd rub it up and you'd make primo charis. Yeah. yeah. It was lovely. Some some of the sunsets are saying now at that, that time of year look fantastic. Did you say you spent six years there? Oh, best part of ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Just, and it's just touring just around. around, yeah. I'd paint. And then I teamed up with a friend of mine, Jimmy Bergen. And he was a great musician, so that's what got me into playing. I, I had to do something, so we'd we'd always get by with the music. People would hear it and automatically kind of, it was a magnetic kind of force. We'd go and we'd find an old temple and kind of squat it, make a fire, play some music, and suddenly there'd be loads of people around. Suddenly there'd be loads of food and cups of tea. And, yeah. well, it was very simple, but it was, it was very joyous great. looking back. It was very free. Yeah. You know? It was like no possessions, none. I, I, a blanket only the clothes on your back only the clothes on my back yeah and you washing rivers you'd, and you'd, stuff and, yeah, yeah all yeah. that I, I remember one time going over we teamed up with this Australian guy who had all the gear like all the mountain climbing gear he, well, north it, face yeah <laughs> and he took us on this trek unbeknownst to us it was like a severe trek across glaciers and stuff like that but you were always in a pair of flip flops yeah and one of the flip-flops, it slid off down the glacier. And I looked and I thought, no, just let it go. So I, I did cross this glacier in, in, with <laughs> one, one flip-flop. Freezing cold. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but it was too late to go back. Yeah. So I just had to keep going. Like, How often did you make, did you tell people you were alive? Um, yeah. I mean, at that time, there was no internet and stuff. Yeah. There was an aerogram. Yeah, Carrier pigeon. I remember to, to make a phone call, you had to book it three days in advance. That's mentally expensive. Yeah, oh yeah, you wouldn't, you know, Tenor you wouldn't have the money to yeah. be ringing home. 
But he's still right to me, da. I'm trying. What does he think of you? But when I told him I was going to India, he said, "That fucking Asia out there." That was that was as much as he knew. <laughs> yeah, but when I told him I was going to leave from, he said, "Sure, even the." The, yeah, the, the nature, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Avoid. <laughs> Apologies to any lead from listeners just, to the show. Just do a left a sligo. Fucking hell, man. That's so, yeah, there was all that. And, I mean, eventually it got fairly undernourished. And what actually happened was they brought in a visa um, up until 84. You could stay as long as you want. You didn't need a visa. It was the Commonwealth in Ireland. The two, and then did you, somebody, get, did you get uh, arrested at any stage? No, we, no, I mean it was all. Gr- you weren't doing any harm. You weren't doing anyway. any yeah. harm, and yeah, I yeah. mean, but you know the way sometimes the Indian cops can be a bit. Well, that, that's what happened. Yeah, they actually brought in a visa, and they gave everybody like a month to go down and register, and then you had to go and sit in the police station. So it was you still all, had your passport. Did you still had the passport. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been in some Big shape. Old green. <laughs> Irish passport you could get 12 people of, on it made of cardboard yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you'd, you had to go down into the police station and sit and give an account to yourself yeah that's what I meant yeah, yeah. So the old Raj to this flat cap policeman yeah with a and stick we went down on the last day so all, all the reprobates all the people that had been in India for years and been on space out turned up on the last day and had to give an account and there was one bloke an English junkie guy whose claim to fame was that he'd sold smack to John Lennon because he knew one of the gorillas out of the 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey. <laughs> Gabe was his name. He'd filled out on his form that, like he was a waiter. I mean, the state of the guy, his arms were like colanders. You know? He's waiting but, for more drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he'd come out to India in 1967 or something like that. I remember the policeman saying, what happened to you? Like, what? And he said, well, I was working in a restaurant and they made it self-service, so I came to India. <laughs> so bang, four weeks, you out, go. go. So we had to do, I had to do a bit of changing around of extending my visa and stuff. But did you get involved in harder drugs like heroin and stuff well, like that? What actually that was happened was, well. it was all uh, hippy-dippy, rainbow colours. Yeah. And then the Russians invaded Afghanistan and there was an epidemic of smack, yeah. hard drugs. It was just everywhere, not yeah. just with the hippies, but with Indian people who didn't yeah. know what it was, basically. Yeah. And it was like everywhere and everybody was into it. Yeah. It was just like this ridiculous kind of spin-off of the Russian invasion. And that's what's going on now today. That's what pays for the bullets, yeah. rocket launchers, mm-hmm. all that. So, so was there, there was there was a did you set, get stuck into it at all? Or? I did, yeah. yeah. And was and it, I didn't. And like you didn't that. know what it was. Well, well, I mean, how bad it? Or, yeah, yeah, I didn't realize what a shit drug it was. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you don't need anything with that. You don't need friends. You don't need to eat. You yeah. don't even need to go for a shit. You yeah. don't need a girlfriend. <laughs> none of it. All that you need is that. So I'd, I'd highly recommend it for anybody who's gets to eighty and sort of feeling a bit creaky. Why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah, you should be able to get out to Keniston. And what about um, hallucinogens? Did you see any psilocybin or any of that sort of stuff when you were out there? Yeah, they used to in the monsoon. It would grow. Yeah, you'd go out and find uh, psilocybin and be grown. Which is coming back now, right? Yeah. What, what's your view on that? Because you're, you're, you and I are atheists, but there is this dimension that you see. Because I tried changa and stuff yeah. like that, and you know, there's something going yeah, on. There is, I mean, yeah. it's just in your brain, like, yeah. clearly. Okay, but like, 
Do you have any? Do you think there's a metaphysical? Universe? I think there's parallel universes, and I mean, right. at, at this stage, the maths is starting to add up it that is. there is actually an infinite number of parallel universes. Yeah. I think when you take uh, psychotropic drugs, like especially DMT, which is like the granddaddy of all the hallucinogens, mm. it lifts that veil that allows you to see into these parallel universes. Mm. Reality we exist in is so tiny in comparison to what's out there. Working on a quantum level, I think there's something inside us that's so small that is eternal. And that right. whether that's eternally in darkness when we die or eternally moving beyond the speed of light to another dimension, uh, psychedelics really allow you to peer into that world. Yeah, it's all going on in your mind, but isn't everything? I mean, there is so much inside ourselves that we don't know mm. about. We're too busy with trivia to actually nurture and expand a lot of our potential, I feel. I think one of the strongest uh, feelings of being Irish I ever had was I came back and I went feral. I was eating wild food and camping wild, living out in Sligo and Leitrim, actually. And, <laughs> Sorry, Leitrim, uh, you're getting a bit of a going over. Yeah, yeah, and Wicklow. And, yeah. and I teamed up with this guy, Jimmy Bergen, and we travelled off-road, basically. Right. We, we'd in walk, Ireland? Yeah, we'd walk across fields. But so first of all, when you got home, what did your mum say to you? Well, she's she's long dead. But my dad was there. He'd be, he'd be watching the, the horse racing, sucking on his pipe. He was very always very good, very understanding. Yeah. Realised I was on some kind of mission to find my place. In the world, and did, they, did he want to know all but the he, stories? But he was he was baffled. And your mates, did they go? And did you come home all dreaded? And, oh yeah, yeah. Come home. So they thought you'd gone mad. Yeah, they were baffled. Yeah, basically, I was oscillating on a different frequency altogether. And then yeah, in your we, own mind, though, you were. You I were, loved it. I mean, yeah. it was so but no, free. you were, you were like, you were yeah. fucking there, all there, and you and knew you were, yeah. very much clarity there about didn't really want to be part of society at that time. And I wanted to be f- as free from it as possible. And I'd do anything to make that so, you know. We were walking around Ireland, basically, in flip-flops again. Uh, That's chilly. Yeah. <laughs> um, camping out. and We found some amazing places. And then we ended up going up to Newgrange, midwinter, Maybe. with a journalist called Kevin O'Connor. So Newgrange, like the, as you know, the sun comes in. Yeah, the archery, yeah. Yeah, you know, once once a year, like a yeah. midwinter. If the sun comes up, yeah, day, yeah. And it was a lovely morning; like it was clear. Right. There's like a twenty-five year waiting list. This is a um, new grange. It's a Neolithic uh, tomb. I think it dates back. It's pre pyramids in Egypt. Pre pyramids, so it's five thousand years BC. It's still very well protected, and there's a really narrow entrance way that goes for about hundred meters or something, and then into a sort of a sort of a an area in the middle of the hill and once a year it was druid times the sun would just shine and light up the interior of this archery so that's where he was going and only a few people can sit in there at any one time which is the waiting list that Pete's referring to it was yeah 25 year waiting list and there was a big sergeant at the gate from Drogheda and there was like no chance of getting in so we went around the side climbed up a tree and hopped over the fence all the time the sun is just starting to break the horizon it's just the deadline is mm. getting closer and closer. So we ran towards the entrance of, of Newgrange with this big sergeant from Drogheda. <laughs> it's like Father Ted. <laughs> and uh, we 
the sun is just coming up, just coming up, and we're ahead of the sergeants, and yeah. we get in, we run in, there's film crew from RT, all the archaeologists, all that. And next of all, there's like the sun is just about to burst. We like dressed like tramps. Yeah, <laughs> flip flops and everything. Yeah, yeah psychedelic kind of <laughs> tramps. Yeah. And next of all, there's the shadow of the sergeant, and everybody <laughs> starts shouting, "Like, will you get in there quick?" He came running in. He grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, and then suddenly the sun came up and shone in like into the depths of the earth in this golden triangle that yeah. you could actually see moving across. Not in a nationalistic way, but it gave me this tremendous connection to being Irish, ancient, like mm. pre-Christian. That kind of uh, intelligence was there. Yeah, that, that like uh, Irish people are very spiritual, so yeah. it was a very really kind of Celtic. But the whole room just got quiet. And got jaws dropped to the just floor. Absolutely gobsmacked, and the sergeant. Everybody told him to shut up. You know, so he quietly sort of stood against yeah. the wall and watched this. He wasn't going to get in either. At the end of it, like, when it was all over, the, the sergeant came over and says, go on no lads, Jason, and thanks for that. I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> so he was delighted. Was it like, astonishing? I was. And the astonishing thing about the was behind it as well is interesting. How, how rooty it felt yeah. and how connected I felt to the earth because yeah. of it. It was incredible. The maths is amazing. Especially um, because... Well, we don't know what the weather was like back then, but one assumes, given climate studies, that the weather in Ireland wouldn't have been that drastically yeah, different. So don't. every other year, it'd be don't. fucking overcast. <laughs> there would be yeah. no sun, you know? Yeah. So they, 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 they've worked it out yeah. irrespective of seeing the sun, actually. Yeah. They know the sun is going to hit there yeah. at a certain time. All right, let's play a second track. What are you going to play yeah, for us? It seems fitting to play uh, another track. I just finished recording it. It's called The Winter Song. And it's all about winter's gloom. And so, didn't yeah. we organize that very well? The winter sun or song? Winter song. Here it is. I love the winter and the charcoal gloom when darkness comes and fills the room. Go back from where they came And the cold wind blows on my window pane Why, 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 I'd sail the seven seas with you Why, 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 I'd do anything you wanted to But I'd never, ever, ever, never turn my back and walk away from you Never, ever, ever, never turn my back and walk away from you. And my breath slips up when the breeze is light like a sleepy whisper in the dead of night. Of tulip place where no Silence, truth, and sleep repose. I, 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 I'd sail the seven seas for you. I, 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 I'd do anything you wanted to. But I'd never, ever, ever, ever turn my back and walk away from you. Never, ever, 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 never turn my back and walk away from you. 
song by Pete Dunn okay so you came back on that visit did you then go like yeah, you, you did you realise I am now so unable to fit in here I have to go back or I like, just wasn't bothered at that stage it was right. just like yeah. what age were you now oh, that would have been yeah heading towards 30 yeah, yeah. we travelled around India did another three years myself and Jimmy travelling around did you around. ever have rows or fights or no it got on very well yeah um, Where is he now? He's living down in Spain. He's okay. fantastic. You definitely listen to this heavy man. Yeah. We travelled around. We moved like a sadhu. Like a holy man out there. Yeah. Apart from we weren't that holy. But yeah. We travelled around with very little and just instruments. What were some of the highlights of that or any stories? Oh, there were some amazing times when you just, there'd be a moment when everything would just be still and you'd be by a river and you'd... You'd hear like an angelic choir in the in the movement of the water, and the sun would be going down, and it'd be a tingle in the air. So it was a lot, lot of time like that, and a lot of time when you'd be in absolute dire need, and you'd just kind of put your fate in what you were doing, and something would turn up always. always. Food or shelter. Or... Food, shelter, whatever you needed. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like surrender yourself to the universe, basically. And yeah. if you're doing the right thing, well, then the universe will kind of look after you. I know all that sounds very spacey, but it does actually work. Like as Einstein said, everything, everything vibrates. If you want something, you've just got to vibrate. It's not spirituality, it's physics. You've just got to vibrate on the same frequency. Yeah. Was there a line in the sand when you got back, came back? Like, did you ever want to have a family or anything like that? Or what was your... Um, not really. I mean, most of the girls around Ring's End when I grew up were like fucking mingers. <laughs> And um, um, no, I, mean, I never. That's dangerous. No, I, I, I hear it's all changed and it's all lovely. But no, it was just like there's got to be more to life than routine, you know. I, I was never that interested in in what the crowd do. And pleasures of the flesh clearly were not your thing either, right? Um, were they were. Yeah, I mean I, that was all about to change when we got back here. I came back with Jimmy and we started up a band called PTA. Which stood for uh, it stood for a lot of things, but we were like an acoustic punk band, mm-hmm. and we were camping out in the Bog of Allen. We were like hipsies, the travellers mm-hmm. used to call us. We were like hippie, hippie gypsies, siphon diesel, and we'd go, we'd go into the gigs and on a horse and cart. You couldn't be done for drink driving. How did you get on with the travelling community? Yeah, they were grand. They'd call yeah. around. For sure, you do, you do get people who who are just out to cause trouble, but most of them are very honourable people especially the, the travellers that kept horses 
they seem to have a, quite an honourable code about them, but they're living on the outside of society. Yes, yeah, you know? that's why I asked. Yeah, but like the so we're talking Ireland in the eighties. In the eighties, so, so there's like, but there's roving bands of fucking couriers yeah. wanting to just beat people up yeah. for no reason, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure you would have been in. Oh, man, in fact, we were doing this like acoustic punk outfit. And we went to Balna Slow Horsewear and we set all the gear up. We had a generator and stuff. We set it up on the back of a flatbed lorry at about two in the morning. Next of all, there was the McGinley girls. They were like troublemakers. They'd provoke people. Oh, Lord. And then the lads had seen it. You look at you bumped into yeah. her or whatever, yeah. So they came around about two o'clock in the morning. We were doing, like, we were doing kind of new order covers and stuff. And they started banging the the flatbed with a big iron bar saying play a fucking waltz so I mean there's only one thing you can do play the, waltz, play the fucking waltz <laughs> I think we played that the same waltz yeah. until about half four in the morning Board in the morning <laughs> <laughs> it was what does PTA stand for it was public toilet aroma <laughs> and then after a while we had a band meeting and said look we're not going to get anywhere with Parent Teacher Association, yeah, of Prevention of Terrorism Act. French of Terrorism Act, yeah. But we had a band meeting and decided that we weren't actually going to get anywhere called that, so we changed it to uh, Pubic Toupee Aroma. Yeah, that's much better. And that was, yeah, it's a good career. And that was the turning point. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. And the rest, yeah, Madison. So then you played Madison Square Gardens. All right, so you so you're back in Ireland in the eighties and not fitting in, right? Yeah, probably missing the world. Yeah, Ireland well, wasn't no, any. Was it? it wasn't. I mean, still beautiful countryside and all that, and you can get right was, into yeah, nature. It was yeah. still under the yoke of the Catholic Church and gay born fucking, you know, yeah, yeah. people like that. that Annie Murphy they and used all to that find stuff. Really repulsive. Yes, we didn't really have much. There's just do a with sanctimoniousness. Yeah. about. So much of the I, I they have this show called Reason in the Years. Have you ever picked oh, it up? Yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube. It, yeah. You should get on. It's great. It. It's yeah. But like you just go, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was naive and, and yet sanctimonious yeah. and up itself and and then all this evil was going on. Yeah. All yeah. like oh, across God, the board. Yeah. In families yeah. and churches and industrial and rubbed under the tape, brushed, yeah. brushed under the carpet. Yeah. And, yeah. Awful. It's fucked up. You got a new was kind of fucked up. Teachers yeah. beating kids yeah. and all that. The good clergy. old days. Yeah. All the clergy. That's why I say they should have a property confiscated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ill gotten gains. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jesus, you go to the Vatican. Jesus, sorry. I took the Lord's <laughs> name in vain there. Blasphemy. You go to the Vatican and see it. The, the, my first impression of the Vatican was what the f- Like just the, the, the splendor and the. Yeah. The gold and the you know the money that was yeah. put into that Pompous. thousands of years yeah. ago just to yeah. Yeah. oh yeah there definitely is a god yeah right whatever it's definitely not a Christian Catholic one. What happened then? Um, we, yeah, we gigged around Ireland quite a bit. We used to get free drinks, so it ended up a bit shaky sort of by the time the summer was over. And then we we moved down to Spain. Uh, we teamed up with guy called Gary from 2000 DS mm. which was a trash punk outfit and we basically siphoned our way around Europe from busking and yeah. making do and then we eventually came back to London and formed a band called the Seven Kevins like tell me how that name came from 
My, I don't I, know where the name my came first cousin from. is called Kevin. Yeah. He's in his house. Um, we were looking for a name for ages. It's not, it's not an easy task. It's yeah. quite difficult. Yeah. We used to rehearse in the front room downstairs in this squat in Canmore. The guy upstairs, he was always banging on the ceiling t- telling us to shut up. His name was Kevin. So we called ourselves that just to wind him up, really. <laughs> the name stuck. He's like, you're not calling yourself that. You're not <laughs> he, calling yourself that. He, he was slightly kind of... He was disgruntled, but he yeah. was pleased as yeah. well. I think, yeah. The Seven Kevins is a is a sort of a punk outfit. That's your and well, now you now you're a musician. We, we, is, that, is that what you felt you were? Or is it like yeah, a, yeah. We, we, I mean, we're all still learning our craft, but we were a trash psychedelic trad band. Right, there was two fiddles that used okay. to go racing off, and we did very well. And what did you play? What did you? I was playing drums. And I used to sing as right. well. We're doing very well. We do, getting gigs. We were getting places and all that and then the rave scene kicked in mm. and nobody was interested in a live band so we moved over to Europe and we toured around we did lots of gigs all up and down we lived on a bus just went from gig to gig and yeah it was fun. great it yeah. was great so you talk about not interested in what was it the flesh yeah sins of the flesh sins oh, yeah. of the flesh now, now you have that was, well, that was deliberately just, ironic yeah that was priest like yeah that was <laughs> yes. like, how was your holy purity Peter it wasn't very good actually <laughs> so there was a there was a groupy culture going there was yeah, it was, yeah I mean it was grand it was especially in Germany I, I loved it there Berlin Berlin yeah the, Berlin was much better when the wall was up yeah because there was an edge yeah. intrigue yeah. And, yeah, yeah that's when the sordid underbelly was when the wall was up. We went there just after the wall came down and you'd be driving along and in West Germany and be like all singing, all dancing, the whole place lit up like a battleship. And then suddenly the road would get really bad and the street lights would be really dim and you'd drive past shops that would have like canopies and a cardigan in it. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're in the east now, you know. Yeah. Again, a- you know, your comment earlier about the, the sort of nicotine... That's... Brown sepia, brown sepia is there, stain, right out of the, out of those shit fucking lights yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, Eastern Europe. Yeah, just looking around and thinking that because some bloke wrote a book a hundred years ago, because of that, everybody had to get be miserable for yeah. seventy years, or whatever. And even that today, you know, like when you when you start saying, you know, you've got to build more social housing, you've got to look after people, you've got to. You go, well, what do you want, Marxism? And it's not, you know, it's we not don't, no, no, we it's don't not, want that. No. We, it's not like it's not an either it's, or situation yeah, it, here, you know. It's like basically readjust the imbalance in, in yeah. wealth in inequality. I mean, personally myself, I think there should be a maximum wage. It's obscene that some of the people, what the money they're making. And to make it sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it's not fucking particle physics. Yeah. Yeah. If you turn your home into a dump, it's going to be uninhabitable. And that's what we're doing, yeah. you know. No, I, I, it's I, not I, like I want to get the little red book out and start no exactly and, of, and yet that's the big thing that gets thrown back by the way did you read Shantaram I did yeah, yeah you yeah. remind me of Shantaram yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit yeah. he must have gone this is boring <laughs> yes <laughs> lightweight <laughs> lightweight yeah <laughs> sorry so I'm going back to that the, the, the whole thing of like I keep going bang on about the Scandinavian countries and I've been to mm. Norway did you get up that, up yeah, that did, far yeah. yeah they pay a load of tax up there but everyone pays it yeah. because People they're paying it to are doing a good job That's, by and large yeah. with it. Yeah. But they've really progressive education systems yeah. up there, prison systems up yeah. there. Like people aren't treated like you know, yeah. housing and, and multiculturalism. And it's not about like you know, as my father said to me once, 
Now, what do you want? You know, if we give all our stuff away, then we'll just be sitting here eating a bowl of rice. And I'm going, no, we fucking won't. You know what I mean? Yeah. This whole idea of... That's, that's what the neoliberals do. Yes. They just they yeah, take they it to an extreme. They gaslight the thing, yeah. I mean, to see the campaign about Jeremy Corbyn being a racist. Yeah. It's like, hang on a minute. The guy's fought racism all his life. Yeah, like, yeah I agree, yeah. You know, and the very people who were accusing him were the ones who were saying, string Nelson Mandela so that, that's what they do, that lot, the neocons. If they haven't got anything to back up their agenda, they just make it up and that's become acceptable. I actually believe that if the wealthy, and I don't mean taking the money off the wealthy, I don't mean saying, you know, you can't live in a big, you can fucking make a billion dollars and stick it in your ears for all I care. But you have to pay the appropriate amount of tax on that billion dollars. Yeah. And what's happening is they're hiring banks of people to make themselves avoid paying tax. Well, don't hire banks of people. Oh, I'm anti-giving back. No, you're not. Just just pay the fucking tax yeah. that's due on your billion yeah. dollars. And by the way, that would probably solve every problem yeah. we have. Because yeah. the amount of money that's going into the Exchequer, they'd be able to fix things like the NHS or the Irish health system with that money. And okay, a couple of fancy damn lawyers and, and corrupt and unethical accountants might lose their jobs. All right, well, yeah. at least we'd be able to give them a home if they don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, it all really needs to yeah. be rejigged. And, and they can day. make billions. And have your yacht and your yeah. speedboat and your fucking Porsche. Yeah. Just pay the amount of tax that yeah. you're owed. And I think I, I think mean, that would solve it if we could. Uh, and oh, Just no loopholes. Well, yeah. there, you'll never get no loopholes. Well, if there's a loophole, it's like whack-a-mole. Well, that yeah. loophole's no yeah. longer in existence. And eventually there will be no loopholes, yeah. you know? Oh, some of the rich people might leave Ireland. Bono wants to go and live in Holland. Fine, let him go and live in Holland. Who that's fucking great, cares? That's a great bit of news, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the Seven Kevins, that went, that went that well? That was great. Yeah, it was great. Did you make we, money then? Were you starting to make some money? Did we fuck? <laughs> no, no. no. You, you were a band, a collective that were fucking cool with the way you were. Oh, it was great. Yeah. We actually got picked up by the Mutoid Waste Company yeah. who were putting on big warehouse parties. Like the first one I went to, I thought, how the fuck are they getting away with this? Yeah. So we became something like the, the house band for this that. This would be like Bermondsey and stuff like that, would it? No, it'd no. be like something like right in the middle of town. Yeah. King's Cross, really outrageous. It was like thousands and thousands of people hmm. all steaming into this squatter yard full of really... Sharp metallic sculptures. Okay. Health yeah. and safety issues. Yeah, there was absolutely yeah. none. Like. So we, we used to do a lot of their parties, and it was mm. just as, as Acid House was kicking off. They, in turn, they got run out of... They moved to Berlin because the hysteria, the media whipped up this anti-Acid House, all mm. the kids taking acid and loving each other. They weren't mm. having it. Taking ecstasy and dying and posters up about... Lee Betts, who died of an ecstasy overdose. I found out later that they were sponsored by the brewing industry because none of the kids were, were drinking. That's why they brought in alcohol yeah. pops, yeah. was to get the kids back on, on the sauce. But well, they started banning water at them, remember? Yeah. Because everyone's so know, dehydrated because yeah, they they're dancing all the time. It was great. I mean, the vibe was just so good as I was getting yeah. London has become very corporate. You know, a lot of the underground scene has been dissipated a lot of it's moved down to places like Margate and where, again where the rent is cheap dilapidated mm. you know in 10 years that would be in the place to live 10 years they moved to Northern Ireland yeah <laughs> Leitrim Leitrim <laughs> oh boy we this love you Leitrim. Leitrim this is the Leitrim podcast <laughs> drum shambo gin coming right up um, so and then the art starts is it um, yeah I mean the Kevin's 
ground to a halt in the mid-90s. And then I'd always painted. I'd always been a spray can artist. Mm. And then I seriously got into it. I went to Australia and just locked myself in a room and painted. Where did you go in Australia? Went to Lismore, up near yes. Barn Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're vibe there. I, yeah, I've just been painting ever since. Did you like so, Australia? Yeah, I did, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I liked the landscape. A lot of... There was a lot of kind of white supremism as well. Yeah, well, the further north, yeah, that, was, that Brisbane yeah. coast, it gets more yeah. and more racist. And so yeah, I came back and yeah, been involved in the street art and been painting ever since. And so um, pizza art is available to buy on PeteDunn.net. That's it, yeah. I had a look at it last night. There's some amazing work. What you do is you try and jolt people with some of your image, imagery. Well, yeah, fair? it's just kind of trying to be honest the style of art that I do really gives me a voice so I don't feel yeah you don't need involved. to talk about it yeah I mean you've got a very very wide range yeah yeah talk about the time you gave away art That's, that was a nice time oh yeah that was a, that was the best gig ever that was shortly after the financial crash I couldn't yeah. believe the banks getting bailed out and really taking the piss like especially in Ireland when mm. they put people's grandchildren into debt I thought the opposite to Greed is generosity. So I thought I'd do 300 paintings and give them away. So I got a slot down with the vicar. He, he has a church down right opposite Deutsche Bank in the mm. city of London. I was telling the vicar that, you know, there's a lot of greed and he was right into it. He was kind of a hip, young vicar yeah. type. What Jesus yeah. would have done. Yeah. Still fucking delusional, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he was into it. Oh, so, look, there's some good religious people. Yeah, there, but yeah. Um, First against the wall would be the bankers, not the, well, not yeah, the that's, priests. Like, that's why he, he lent yeah. me a wall, actually, yeah. along the side yeah. of the church. And then I had the, the lobby of the church where people could come in. And I did 300 paintings, spray paints, all taking the piss out of the banks and gave them away to people. And, of course, none of the bankers would come in. There was a guy who'd taken over Barclays, and I, I painted him giving the V sign. Yeah. And there was one banker walking past, and... He said, is that Bob Diamond? I was going, yeah. He's saying, he's a legend. You know, he, he did, just didn't get... He couldn't work it out. Yeah, he, he's a legend. I said, why don't you go in and get one? I'm giving them away. He's, You're giving them away? I said, yeah. He said, no such thing as a free lunch, buddy, and walked off. <laughs> so none of the bankers came in. It was all the people who... Yeah, I know. I thought there's a video shifted. of it. I linked the video to the podcast, which oh, is a... Uh, it was a joyous thing. Yeah, it was a really good gig. And then Deutsche Bank called the riot police. So there's a couple of, of vans pulled up. They said, like, what are you doing? So I explained the whole concept to them. And they were kind of baffled to begin with. And then said to me, good on you, mate, and drove off beeping their horn. So that was a great moment. Yeah. But yeah, that was, a, that was a really good gig, that one. And where do you stand on Banksy? Because you've done a rip-off of Banksy throwing money Yeah, away. that's, I mean... That's pretty much the circus around the Banksy. I think he's he's a really important artist and he's opened up the whole street art scene for so many people. And Earlier this year he did that fabulous stunt where he shredded his painting. I know, it's just side. brilliant. I yeah. mean, the whole art world is uh, comparing that to Marcel Duchamp's Yeah, Urano it is, yeah. It's very similar. As a seminal yeah. moment. Yeah. Whereas, like, Curiously, the guy who paid the 1.2 he's, million he's in the is money now, now yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, it's worth more. Because I think... Yeah. It broke. He, yeah, yeah. It was meant to be just all in pieces, yeah, but yeah. now this it's actually more interesting because it's it half is, it's half shredded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the whole art world is it's is is just has total respect for Banksy, even though he took the piss big time out mm. of the art world. Mm. Whereas Damien Hurst, 
avoided the whole artwork by auctioning his, yeah. his work. At the auction, he saved 20% on gallery fees. And he, he sold 110 million quid's worth of work. It was two days before the financial crash. It was yeah. perfect time. Oh, yeah. But because of that, the whole artwork has set out to discredit him. And now his stocks have, have halved. Really? Because the art world has gone, fuck you, mate. Whereas with Banksy, they're all gone wicked. Yeah, yeah. They're all gone great. So, yeah. Where do you see the world in 20 years? I think it's just going to get worse. The environment needs, that whole issue needs to be put on a war footing. They're telling people, oh, you've got to recycle your fucking coffee cups. It's like, no, you've got to stop making that shit now. There's got to be a huge shift in consciousness, global consciousness. Greed is not good. What brings, what's going to bring that on? Desperation. Civil unrest. I think it's, it's time that we, we stopped obeying, obeying these psychopaths because yeah. they're trashing it. Spoiling it for, not just for us, but for every living thing that has taken millions of years to evolve. You look at photos of, of the Earth from space, Photos that NASA publishes, you know, from mm. 50 million miles away from. And it's this incredible, fertile blue oasis in a vast sea of nothingness. And we've been given that as a gift. And what do we do? Trash it, turn it into a dump. And it's just, it's so wrong on every level that we need to basically tell these people who are responsible to fuck right off. And sort it out. On that note, I'd like to go out with the with the last song, which is which is called Whacked. And I've been living down in Brixton now for the last twenty years or so, and you see it on Saturday night. Everybody is just completely whacked on one thing or another. So yeah, the last song is called Whacked. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Oh, real pleasure. Super duper logger got a hungry mouth to feed. Mama's popping happy pills like crazy. All the kids they're smoking weed. Everybody's getting whacked on something, something that makes them feel good. Everybody's getting whacked on something. Everybody in my neighborhood. Down into the mirror Got a tennis stuck up his nose 